The, if you're taking notes, the title for this evening is Rejoice. Job's deepest longing is your current possession. Rejoice. Job's deepest longing is your current possession. Job 9, 27 to 35. We'll begin at verse 27. If I say, I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and be of good cheer. I become afraid of all my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why then do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. Verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me, and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Let's pray. God, your word says that you will not break a bruised reed, a smoldering wick you will not snuff out. In the most trying times, you are with us and your promises uphold us. I pray this evening you would refocus our attention and our affection on you and that your name would be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever wanted a time machine? If you could rewind history and bring a word of encouragement to someone in the past, who would you talk to? Well, this evening, we find a man who could use a word of encouragement from a future time traveler like yourself. In this passage, we find a man who is in agony, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and from a, the soil of a suffering heart sprout some of the deepest questions a man can ponder. Tonight, as we work through the text, we will discover two wishes, two fulfillments, and two encouragements. We'll see two wishes, two fulfillments, and two encouragements. You recall how this story started in the first two chapters of the book. A man named Job lived long ago, before the prophecies in Isaiah, before the time of David, uh, somewhere nearly 2,000 years before Christ. Job loves God wholeheartedly. He is also tremendously wealthy. But Satan flings an accusation at God. He says to God, Job is nothing but a divine gold digger. He only loves you because you bless him with stuff. Let me take it all away from him, and he will abandon you and curse God. And so on that fateful day, Job's entire world seems to unravel. Everything begins to fall. The Sabaeans fall upon his oxen and donkeys from one direction. The Chaldeans fall upon his camels from three directions. Fire falls from the sky and torches his sheep. And then in the hardest blow, a great wind strikes his house from four directions, and it falls on his ten children. North, south, east, west, even from the sky, everything is falling in on Job. And then in that dramatic moment, Job's legs buckle beneath him, and he himself falls to the ground. We hold our breath, waiting for him to curse God, but instead we find him worshiping God. Job may have withstood the onslaught that Satan arrayed against him, but his heart still aches. He loves God, but his mind is still grasping for answers. 
So for 36 chapters, Job and several of his friends plumb the depths of some of the deepest questions a person can ask about the nature of life, about God, about good and evil. And out of those deep questions, in chapter 9, we discover two of Job's deepest desires. As we uncover Job's deepest desires, some of his deepest longings, we identify two of them in this passage. Job puts forward two wishes, two wishes, righteousness and a mediator. First, righteousness. If you're taking notes, this is verses 27 to 31. In verse 28, he says, I know you will not hold me innocent. And again, we see in verse 29, he says, I shall be condemned. So what's going through Job's mind? Well, the smoke of his incinerated sheep is still hanging in the air. The, uh, the pens that used to be full of his camels are now empty and quiet. The dust has barely settled from his shattered house that, that buried his ten children. He's surrounded by the realities of physical death and physical destruction. So what's nagging at him? Spiritual death and eternal destruction. The root of his problem, the root of what's bugging him, is righteousness, or rather, his lack of righteousness. He's guilty. He's not innocent. Now, yes, he didn't curse God. That's absolutely true. But at the same time, he knows he isn't perfectly righteous. And God, as the perfect judge, cannot allow the unrighteous to go free. So logically then, in Job's mind, God has to condemn him for his sin throughout all eternity. As he ponders this, well, are there any escape hatches? Maybe he can escape justice by by being stronger, by doing better, by cleaning himself up. Well, notice what he says in verses 30 to 31. If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit, and my own clothes will abhor me. His best doesn't cut it. Washing with snow, of course, snow, right, falling from the sky, white, clean, and pure, uh, it doesn't help. It can't wash the indelible stains of sin. And likewise, he says, if I, if I cleanse my hands with lye, it doesn't work either. The purest water of good deeds, the strongest, harshest chemical agents of self-discipline, it can't reverse the cancer of indwelling sin. And if he tried, what would result from all this effort? Verse 31, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. Now, if we do a word search for pit in the book of Job, we discover it describes not just physical death, but specifically eternal death and eternal punishment and judgment. So Job is saying, even on my best behavior, I still feel those cold pincers of eternity clamping down on me. And as a result of that, apparently not only the judge, but as he says in verse 31, apparently his own clothes will abhor him as well. Spurgeon puts it well when he writes, You may sometimes have abhorred your clothes because they were so dirty you were ashamed to be seen in them, but you must be dirty indeed when your very clothes seem ashamed to hang upon you. Job must be righteous. He can't make himself righteous. Perhaps someone else can. But that's where Job encounters his second problem and he vocalizes his second wish. His second wish is for a mediator. Second wish is for a mediator. Verse 32. For he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. There is no arbiter between us 
who might lay his hand on us both. What he really needs, what he longs for, is an arbiter, a mediator. As he says in verse 33, one who can lay his hand on both individuals, who identifies with both parties in court. One who understands the frailty and the weakness of Job, but yet has the power and authority of God. It must be a man in order to identify with Job, but the mediator must be divine in order to present his case before God. He needs a man. He needs God. He needs a God-man. But alas, says Job, I have no arbiter. (laughs) His wishes seem like some distant fantasy. Now, if he had that, verse 35, then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. Without that mediator, facing the justice of a righteous God alone, all by yourself, is a terrifying prospect. Of course, we know more than Job. We can look back at the amazing provision God has done for us since then. So we've seen so far two wishes, and so now we uncover two fulfillments. Can you imagine the look on Job's anguished face if we could hop in that time machine and encourage him from the truths we find in the New Testament? I want to be righteous, he pleads. We read him 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wish fulfilled, Job. His anguish look begins to recede. But I need a mediator too, he cries. And we respond, 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 6. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Another wish fulfilled Job. Faint smile begins to form on his face. This mediator is powerful, like God. Oh, even better, Job. Hebrews 1, 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And this this mediator, he identifies, he he sympathizes with me. Job, Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. His smile blossoms into a grin. You mean I won't be condemned? Job, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't need to be terrified of God. No, Job, no. Hebrews 4, 16 says we can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. His grin turns into a laugh. And there's no chance of falling out of favor? No. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews seven twenty five. Job desires righteousness. God has made a way. His name is Jesus. Job wants a mediator, to which Christ responds, I am. Righteousness desired, righteousness fulfilled. Mediator required, mediator revealed. Brothers, sisters, fellow Christians, don't forget the unimaginable treasure we possess. Job's deepest longing is your current possession right now in Christ by faith. Does Job's aching heart ever find the answers he seeks? Well, yes and no. 
His words later in the book exhibit faith that somehow God will accomplish these things. We know Job remained steadfast in that faith from James chapter 5, the only reference to Job in, in the New Testament. James says in chapter 5, verse 11, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But for Job, the mystery of how these things happen and the unimaginable glory of the gospel is veiled for him in a black box. He has to trust God and patiently wait and patiently walk by faith. For us, though, that black box has been unlocked, the, the veil removed, and we can bask in the clear, bright rays of new covenant gospel truth. And just as we look back 2,000 years to the cross in faith, Job looks forward 2,000 years to the cross in faith. But oh, how infinitely better to be on this side of the cross. So what are we to say to these things? Well, so far we've looked at two wishes and two fulfillments. And so now we discover two encouragements. Two encouragements. Treasure and rejoice. Treasure and rejoice. First, treasure what you have. So often we take these things for granted. Has your Christian walk felt dull recently? I dare you. Spend some time marveling on these truths and try to walk away feeling unmoved. Be awed as you see perfect justice embrace boundless love. Be overwhelmed at how Christ has taken you the unrighteous and given you the righteousness of Christ. Revel in how you, a descendant of Adam made of dust, can go to God's throne and call him Abba, Father. Like Mary, in Luke chapter 2, are you treasuring and pondering all these things in your heart? And secondly, rejoice. Rejoice. Vocalize it. Sing it. Pray it. Uh, preach it to yourself when you feel down. If God has solved our greatest eternal problems, will he not also freely give us what we need for the week ahead of us? When you feel the blistering attacks of the evil one, rejoice in the fact he may harm your body, but he will never touch your soul. He cannot. And rejoice in the fact that as Mark 10, 29 to 30 tells us, that when you lose houses, children, wealth, or lands for the sake of Christ, you will receive back a hundredfold from the Lord as well as eternal life. You are blessed and God will be glorified no matter the outcome. Let this fire up our prayers. Out of a rejoicing heart, go to God and praise him for the abundant provision he has given to us in Christ. Rejoice that Christ can sympathize with your weakness as a man. He sees your tears. He has cried them too. He knows the sting of betrayal. He has endured it too. He knows the physical pain you experience. He bore far worse on the cross in his body. He understands you. Rejoice in those things. But more importantly, rejoice in the fact that Christ has all the prerogatives of divinity because he is God. He can wipe away those tears. He can raise you from the dead, and he will bring you into right standing with God. As Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Our greatest needs met, 
our darkest fears relieved, and our deepest longings fulfilled. Job's deepest longing, your deepest longing, fulfilled by God in Christ Jesus. Christ, who makes you the righteousness of God, who is your mediator, the one who can lay his hand on both parties. Treasure and rejoice. Job's wish is your current possession right now and will forever be yours in Christ through faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with grateful hearts we praise you for the treasure you have given us. I pray that our hearts would be our hearts and tongues would be quick to thank you, quick to praise you, and quick to treasure you. In the name of in the name of our mediator, our champion, our prophet, priest, and king, in the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.